wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Welcome. Please consider sharing this and other episodes through Facebook, Instagram and Twitter so that more people can kick against the darkness. You'll find our social media links at bleedingdaylight.net. Today's guest has journeyed through a difficult life. He'll share about the struggles, but also the triumphs and how he has found his place in life. Chris Boys grew up on the outskirts of Perth, the capital of Western Australia. His home was in a suburb marked by low-income families and disadvantage. Home life was difficult and hopes were few. Today, he's a podcaster and a church pastor. He's my guest on Bleeding Daylight today. Chris, thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's a privilege. It's really great to be here. Thanks for having me, Rodney. I want to understand what growing up was like for you. Tell me about those growing up years. One word, fear. There was a lot of fear for me. I was the youngest of four. I was quite a sensitive kid, always been a sensitive person. There was a lot of arguing. There was a lot of screaming and yelling when dad was home. And there was peace when dad was away. So it was a pretty topsy-turvy childhood in a lot of ways for me, Rodney. So yeah, that was hard, difficult. Being the youngest of four boys, it wasn't easy for me. I did have brothers to look out for me, luckily, because it, it was pretty hard going though. You mentioned that things were pretty tough and it was a lot more peaceful when your dad was away. I understand that your dad was working away, so he was absent some of the time and there some of the time. Tell me a little about that. Dad was actually a merchant seaman, so that meant he meant he could spend anything from four weeks to eight weeks to 12 weeks away. It would depend on what ship he was booked in to travel on. And it would be a number of different ships. It could be cargo ships, oil tanker ships. But it just ordinarily would mean that Dad would be away for any length of time. And, you know, we did miss him as kids, but we all, we'd also liked the peace that we could have when he was away. When Dad was home, it was very well marked by his heavy drinking and he would obviously have, have a lot of yelling matches and arguments. Whenever there's conflict and alcohol involved, it's a pretty dangerous mix, right? And it's a very different kind of lifestyle. We hear these days of a lot of what we call fly-in, fly-out workers, of those who are there sometimes and not at others. And I guess it's a similar sort of scenario that you're painting here in that your dad was away to work and so your mum had to cope on her own. And when he's home, I guess it would be difficult for him as well to know, well, what's my place in this family? As pastors, my wife and I are passionate about helping families navigate that. My wife's a firm believer that when the, when the husband comes home, there's obviously that re, you know, renegotiating period, probably not the right word, re-establishing period where you know he's got to sort of get back into the flow, the routines. Dad's home now. It's not just mum who's having the routine set. Some of the, the rosters that are around Rodney are very non-family friendly. Some of them are like four on, two home, and is in four weeks home, two weeks home. Some are three weeks away, one week home. You know, the best one I've seen is eight days away, six days home, but it's still disruptive and it still would be hard for a mum to look after the kids when dad's away all the time and then have dad come home and obviously he's got his own ways of doing things right. It can be a little bit confusing for a child because suddenly things could be a little bit different when dad's home. So, yeah, I definitely have a lot of um, compassion for FIFO families and definitely marriages who are in FIFO for sure. Tell me about the tension for you as the youngest of four boys. 
there's this expectation you can't wait dad's coming home but at the same time you know that that's going to bring conflict what was that like for you as a young fella trying to cope with that tension between wanting dad to be there but on the other hand not wanting him to be there it was probably one of the things that marked my life with anxiety really because you're always on edge you always felt like you're walking on eggshells you weren't quite sure what kind of dad you were going to get is that was dad going to be happy when he come home was dad going to go off his nut at mum because she'd been spending too much money you really were always on edge and by the time i was born what by the time i came along my father's alcoholism had really really gotten to a pretty bad stage. Dad was very up and down a lot, and that affects you as a young child. And that's why I was quite unstable as a teenager, and that's why I had trouble holding down jobs, Rodney. And that's why I had, you know, just had a lot of trouble coping with life as, as an adolescent. And we know that when there is alcohol involved, that it can go a number of ways. Uh, thank you for being willing to talk about these things, but I want to understand what it was like for you, because we hear that in some homes where there is alcoholism, there is violence or there is other forms of difficulties in the home. What was it like in your home? Was it violent or, or was it just the, the shouting all the time or just an absent dad? What did it feel like for you? I don't really remember my mum getting beaten up, but I do remember plates getting smashed constantly or I do remember glasses getting smashed a lot. And I do remember yeah, just a lot of yelling and, and arguing. And I do remember quite often my mum would just pick me up just out of nowhere and just, I'm out of here. That was quite prominent. You know, like that used to affect different things. Like I had a I had a basketball semi-final coming up that I didn't end up making. And, you know, it was just hard, really difficult, confusing, very confusing. Because one minute mum seems to be all right with dad. The next minute she seems to almost want to kill him. Not literally, maybe, but definitely very, very angry. The way that she was probably spoken to or treated was very nasty. And, you know, my dad had a very cruel tongue. He always used to say to me, you're going to amount to nothing. And he used to put me down constantly. He used to say to me, you got nothing to say. You know, that was hard, you know, especially for someone like me that you know, eventually felt called by God to go into media. I you know, had to go for a lot of healing of that. I had to start to see I'd actually have something to say. That's why I love podcasts like this. I love being able to share my story because I hope that I can give someone some hope to say, you know, what you've got to say is important and your story counts. I, I remember a lot of the times just running, Rodney, just always running to run away from things. Like I'll be in school one day and I just I couldn't cope. It was like I was just so anxious and the teachers would be like, where's he gone? And I'd taken off, literally just ran and ran and ran till I could get home. And that was pretty much a lot of what I did. Probably why I became good at little athletics, right? Because I just was running, always wanting to run, run. Every situation I felt uncomfortable in, Every time I felt really, really nervous around people, I would just run, literally just take off. And that was pretty much most of my childhood, really. It was only in my latter stages of my childhood because I was good at little athletics and sport. That became a, a healthier distraction for me, and I could actually pull myself into that. You seem to be taking an escape in running. You're finding a way to escape the situation. Of course, once you got into your teenage years, mm. your escaping took a, a different role, didn't it? Well, I had it modelled to me quite a lot by my older brothers. They were getting into violence, alcoholism and drugs. That was around me quite a lot. By the time I was 12, my brother's brother used to have to look after me as a 12-year-old. And his mates used to think it was funny because I'd nagged them for alcohol. So that was my first experience of alcohol was, was uh, my brother's older friends. It was just the norm in those days in Quinana. That's just how you know, all the people in the streets lived. You know, alcohol was a big factor. 
And I didn't like alcohol one little bit, Rodney. And I noticed my older brothers were smoking marijuana and I'm like, I want to try that. And I nagged them and nagged them and nagged them. And that's kind of how I found my escape, quite rightly put. And that's kind of really where it started to start. I mean, by the time I was 13, I was regularly smoking marijuana and there were people in the high school doing it at lunchtime my age as well. That was pretty much my reality before the time I was even 14, Rodney, was just trying to escape drugs gave me a way where I didn't have to physically run away. I could just escape in my own mind, if you like, through the drug. And where did that take you eventually? When you're trying to escape using alcohol, you're using drugs at such a young age, Mm -hmm. I imagine that eventually that escape isn't enough. So where does that take you? Anybody who's ever taken drugs and had a problem with it will tell you that the need for stronger and stronger drugs does become a factor. And so from the ages of 13, to 15, I was getting in, trying to get into to stronger drugs. You know, I had an, an experience with speed. Luckily, in those days, there was no such thing as ice. It was just called speed. By the time I was 15, my mum and dad actually divorced, and that accelerated my self-destruction. So that's when I started getting into LSD. That's when I started really just wanting to find out. I just re- really didn't know why I was here, what my purpose was. I basically started getting into anything that I could. So I started looking for answers in spiritual things too, Rodney. Like one of the things I looked for answers in was the new age, was the occult. That took me down a pretty dark path. So yeah, pretty much from the ages of about 13 to 17, I was either trying to escape in drugs, trying to escape in some sort of anything that I felt that was going to give me some kind of comfort, answers to life. I was wanting to get into it. And I believe even at that stage, you were looking for some kind of escape in relationship, hoping that that might work for you. Tell me about the early relationship that you had back there in your teenage years. You know, obviously growing up in the way that I did and, you know, obviously, you know, living the way that I was as a teenager, you know, I had difficulty getting a job, had a hard time holding down a job. So I ended up doing this thing called Employment Program for Unemployed Youth in uh, Rockingham TAFE. And I met this girl there, about a year older than me, her name was Sophia. I kind of, like like you do, got talking to her and you know, talking to the other young people and we were all smoking drugs and, you know, drinking and doing all those sort of silly things and thinking they were the way that you could escape life. And that relationship with her developed and developed and I eventually started going out with her. I ended up living with her. And she was actually a born-again Christian, Rodney, and she'd backslid. And she was rebelling against the upbringing, the strict religious upbringing from her parents. And we ended up moving in together. And that was obviously a big shock to her family because they were Baptists. They were really upset about it and they prayed for her about it. They confronted me, confronted her. I was pretty rebellious in those days, Rodney. So I pretty much told them where to go on regular occasions. Not proud of it, but I did. She actually got pregnant, broke my heart, but she decided that she wanted to have an abortion. So that was hard. They never gave up on her. They never gave up on me, you know, and they kept praying for me and praying for me and praying for me. I'll never forget. I got visited by someone from the church. He was a real rough type diamond who'd found the Lord. He was from Yorkshire, had a really strong accent, and he came around and I was pretty much just like, didn't want to know. But he took the trouble to tell me about Jesus and he took the trouble to tell me, son, he said, son, if there's one thing I want you to hear today, if you haven't listened to another thing I've said, it's this. You ask Jesus into your life, sunshine, and I guarantee it will change. I've never never forgot that. And I stayed with Sophia for another two years, and that's when I really started ramping up, believe it or not, with her getting into the old cult, getting into the new age, getting into, into LSD, even living on a farm, wanting to be like a hippie with her. That was pretty much my life and reality. Her brother got right into the occult. 
he he was the one who actually helped me get into the occult and all kinds of strange stuff started happening around that period of time. But I just wanted answers and I wanted to know, well, who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Is there any way I can find a way to find the answers to life? And I was just really searching. And you know, even to the point where I had an encounter at the age of 19 and I, you know, I believe I heard the voice of God and I couldn't make sense of it. And I asked her what it meant. I ended up living in a farm with about three or four other Christians who were all backslidden, Rodney. <laughs> and every time we got high and every time we got on LSD, I'd ask him questions like, who's this Jesus guy? Who is he? Or I'd ask him questions like, "What? This, tell me about this Abraham guy that Sophia told me about from the Bible. What's it? And it used to annoy him. But I just wanted to know. I was really, really interested in knowing. And obviously, when I look back on it now, the Spirit of God was drawing me. Because um, at the age of 19, she left me for my best friend. Well thought he was my best friend. That really crushed me and broke my heart and I ended up quite suicidal. And from that, I ended up going to you know what's called uh, 12-step programs and through that I became born again. But that really wasn't helping and I just knew something, I needed something else. And then I ended up at Teen Challenge and that's where I became really on fire for Jesus and I was witnessing to people my age and it was quite a radical turnaround really when I look back on it now. But I still struggle with rejection, Rodney, and I still struggle with anxiety, and I still struggle with a lot of things. That was pretty much my reality uh, for yeah, for a little while. Tell me about that experience at Teen Challenge. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that many people would have heard of Teen Challenge or Adult and Teen Challenge, as it's named these days. That's right. But what was the experience for you? What actually was involved in that time at Teen Challenge? In the 12-step programs, you have like a sponsor, and he was born again, spirit-filled, loved the Lord, so did his wife, and they, he, he just couldn't help me. So he prayed about it, and the Lord showed him to take me to Teen Challenge. So I had an interview with Malcolm Smith. Before I know it, within three days, I was up at Teen Challenge, living in a place called Jinjin, which was the very first Teen Challenge in WA. The program of Teen Challenge consisted of just a routine of breakfast. You have what they call the classes for the day, and they would do devotions, And we would learn about different life skills and we would have different activities, like you might have to look after the veggie patch or you might have to milk the cow. And it was really a good experience. It was pretty small in those days, Teen Challenge. They didn't even have a ladies program at the time, but that came while I was there. When I used to do devotions, we were encouraged to talk about a scripture or something that we liked from the Bible. And I really enjoyed it. And I got so good at it, they used to call me their homegrown preacher. (laughs) I just knew there was a call of God in my life and, and and the leaders and the staff could see it. It was kind of in the country to try and get you away from those distractions and temptations to help you recover from addiction, really, and 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 find Jesus at, at the end of the day and you know learn about how to cope with life. So you went through the Teen Challenge program and graduated from there. And mm-hmm. we'd like to think that everything went upwards from there, but as so often happens in life, that really wasn't the end of the struggles. What came next for you? It's great to get off drugs. It's great to get off alcohol, but the triggers, the things that are inside are, are still there, you know, and for me, I still didn't know how to cope with life. I still didn't know how to handle anxiety. I still didn't know how to cope with depression. And so for, for me, what happened from there, I didn't really know how to fit into to youth group. I was only 20. You know, all the people I met with at youth group, Rodney, were all grown up in the church mostly, all the pastor's kids which, you know, was hard for me to cope with. And so rejection was a bit of a thing for me in those days. And I slid back and uh, I went to the thing that brought me comfort or the thing that I felt I could rely on. 
uh, quite often. So I had a lot of ups and downs for probably the first two years of leaving Teen Challenge. And, but I still really was passionate about knowing Jesus and, and finding the answers. And you know, I love the Bible. I love reading the Word of God. But it always just felt like, why am I still struggling? And you know, obviously there was inner wounds. It was inner things inside of me that was still there from childhood. Like one of the biggest things was forgiving my father. That was hard because I needed to forgive my dad for the things that he'd done, the things that he'd said, the way he'd spoken about me. And at the time, Dad was there. He was trying to support, trying to help me. But I was just so angry at him, Rodney, and I just like I needed to forgive him. So that was a really key moment for me when I finally came to that place where I was able to forgive my father. It was just a real battle for me. I didn't cope very well with life. You know, I still had problems holding a job down. Like you just rightly pointed out, you'd like to think when you go to somewhere like Teen Challenge that you come out and it's all upwards for there. And I don't think it's plain sailing for anyone, but it's and it's certainly not for someone that's become impacted by a life-controlling problem that we would call addiction or alcoholism. It's very hard to find that road back from there. And for me, it was really hard. You know, and then I ended up getting involved with this lady who was quite a bit older than me. She manipulated me. She made me convinced that I had to marry her. Long story, but I got sucked into all that. And I married her and she had her own house. She had her own child. That was a difficult time because I really wanted to answer the call. So I went to Bible college. She encouraged it. It just was a very tough time in my life. And we ended up having two children together. I really took my vow seriously. I wanted so much for that marriage to work. But it, was, it wasn't a very good marriage, and it was a very hard, a very difficult, very traumatic time, really. Probably for her too in some ways, for sure, but definitely was for me, and I know it was hard on the kids. And it must have been a real tug for you as well at that time, knowing the sort of upbringing that you had, and you would definitely want to be there for your kids. And so I guess that's weighing heavily on your mind at this stage too. No one enters into a marriage thinking it's going to fail, and and you definitely do not want to feel like you're repeating the cycle. I certainly did not want my kids to have to grow up and eventually be kids from a broken home. So that was something I fought for. I mean, I tried hard, and you know, I wanted so much to be a good dad. I mean, all I ever wanted as I came towards the end of my twenties and I was starting to head into my adulthood was to be a dad, to be a husband and a father. And so it was very hard for me, and I spent quite a few years in a, a very very toxic marriage not coping with it, not handling it, and turning to drugs. Not proud of it, but I did. That was the way I tried to cope with it. And it was a very, very tumultuous marriage, and there was constant separations. And every time you know, it would occur, it would break my heart. I just wanted so much for that marriage to work, but it, it just couldn't. It, there was just so many underlying issues and problems with herself. She grew up from a wealthy family, actually, but she had sexual abuse issues to deal with. She was raped. It was terrible. She was at a disadvantage, I was at a disadvantage, and so it was obviously very hard to make that marriage work. But I still firmly believe if two people are determined enough and open enough and honest enough, you can work through anything if you really want to. I just found it really hard, and I ended up in Melbourne living with her, had one last crack at making the marriage work, and I had to leave that marriage behind because she kicked me out, wanted a divorce, and then I had to move to Perth because I had nowhere else to go. That was a nightmare in itself. And that was really, really hard for me. And that was in 2002. And I ended up moving back with my mum, which was an interesting experience to say the least. You know, you're 34, 34 years old, you're going out at night to catch up with people and your mum's asking you what time you're going to be home. So there's a little bit of up, a little bit of down, life continues on. And it seems that you're no further forward than you were earlier. And yet things start to change. Yep. Tell me about what happens from this point. When you're a 35-year-old man, you've got 
three kids. Two are my biological. One was was my child, but hers when I married her still saw her as my own. You have to make some decisions and you have to take stock, and that's what I did. And I started wanting to really seek ways that I could get some help and and to turn things around because I thought, what is it about my life that I can take control over? And so I started to do that. I mean, when I first separated from my first wife, I didn't handle it very well and I went down those stupid wrong rabbit holes again with alcohol and drugs for about six months. And I've met other people, even as Christians, who've done that. They've made some silly decisions because it's it's a lot to cope with. It's I wouldn't wish the pain of divorce on anyone. After that, I started to think, nah, look, I've got to find a way. There's got to be another way. So I started really taking my walk with the Lord really seriously, and I started going along to a fellowship in uh, Hall's Head called Oceanside Christian Fellowship, and I got along really, really good with the pastor, and I just, I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to really – really get desperate for God, and I did, and I just started to do whatever I could, you know, looked into getting whatever job I could, couldn't get a job. I ended up getting computer, little computer business going just for some income, and I just did that. God really honoured that because I ended up finding myself in a situation where some of the people that I met in this church were, you know, good enough to help me get set up in a flat, and I just pretty much just plugged away every day, just praying, just reading my Bible, just getting involved in my church, just trying to keep the focus of myself, right, and just keep keep my eyes on the Lord by being a blessing to other people. Obviously, I was lonely, Rodney. Back in those days, they used to have something called MSN chat rooms. That was when I met Sharon. We got to know each other as friends. From there, we just chatted, talking to each other. It wasn't anything really romantic. We just got on really good as friends. We've discovered, actually, that we live locally, and we had our very first meet. And I remember this with great fondness because at the time, we were having coffee. My mum walks in with her friend, and that mum had no idea I was there. And I was a little bit, I was panicking at that point because I'm thinking the last thing on this lady needs is to meet my mother. But we would look back on that with fondness and laugh. We just stayed friends for six months. And at the time, I was just still just trying to establish myself again after divorce. We were really good friends for six months, and we just remained good friends. And I got to know her sons. They saw me as mum's friend for six months. And so when we actually romantically become involved, <laughs> my wife Sharon was worried about telling them, but when they found out, they were like, what took you so long? So it was like they could obviously see it before we could. And so that was pretty wonderful. And then in 2004, we got married. I ran a computer business for a little while. And in the end, I, I kind of got sick of that and I wanted something different. So I started going into corporate IT. Um, just fixing computers, just like what they call a level one technician on a help desk. And I just kept persevering and persisting, just wanting to build something of a life that, you know, had stability, something that that I could actually welcome my children into should they ever want to come and live with me or need me for any reason. That was my focus at the time. And life was a lot better. I had the most wonderful woman to be married to, Sharon, and she was just incredible. She was just such a great great friend and, you know, great wife, and we would just, we just built our lives together. She comes from a marriage beforehand herself. She's got two sons, and they ended up having children in, the, in our last 19 years of marriage, and I ended up being a poppy, granddad, and I loved that. I was there when the babies were born, and they grew up, and I had what I dreamed of, Rodney, a normal life. Things that people take for granted, I never knew what they were until I fell in love with Sharon and got married had a stable, healthy, normal life with good relationships with family. That was something that I hadn't had before. So that was all a really good thing for me, really. But 
there was always things that still tripped me up, mate. There was always still anxiety and depressions and mental health issues, and it was just really hard for me. I guess one of the markers that we see from this point on in your life is, yes, there are some of the things that you had been through in the past, some of the traumas that you'd been through that were still visiting your life, and mm-hmm. you're still feeling some of the effects of that. But I guess the difference is you have someone who's prepared to stand by you. That must have been such a big difference to know that Sharon was going to be there no matter what when other people had abandoned or walked out, that Sharon was there. What did that do for you? Well, obviously it gave me love and gave me joy. Sharon was like, she's just so calm and giving and peaceful. And and for me, obviously that it just gave me the chance to to see what life could actually be like when you marry the right one. <laughs> just the little things in life that, you know, like I said, people take for granted, you know, like being able to have a have peaceful home life and be able to do normal things and not wake up every day and think, am I going to have a big Barney with my wife? It wasn't like that. For her too, there were things about me that were really healing for her. You know, like I didn't make big deals out of running out of things like toilet paper, which was a big deal in her previous marriage. So we were a healing for each other, really. We provided that that continuity, that strength, that stability for each other. She probably provided that more for me than I did for her because she was on her own for two years. She she coped better being on her own than I sure did. I'll admit that. We just really just supported each other, helped each other. Sharon wasn't a Christian when I met her, and I really prayed that the, you know that she would find the Lord because I really wanted to marry her. So so I led her to the Lord with a friend of mine, and so you know I've helped her in that regard spiritually. So there are different different areas in our lives, different strengths that we each, each of us have got. As a matter of fact, when we did our actual compatibility test just to see if there was any issues that we might need to work on when we got married, the pastor who married us at the time couldn't believe it. He says, I've never seen a couple this compatible, and that's when I just knew, I just knew without any shadow of a doubt that she was the right one for me. So we spent a lot of years building things together, doing different things together. We've just supported and loved each other, really. You know, she, she's just been amazing. She just stood by me. Even after going through a lot of your own traumas and at times coming to some really difficult spots, crying out to God, mm. I guess things have, have turned around. Tell me what life is like for you at the moment. Life at the moment for me is a lot better. I found a way to find who I am and I found a way to live life in a way that I understand how to cope. I understand how to manage, how to live with things. That really turned around for me in 2019. I began to get uh, an understanding and a realisation that, you know, God really is a loving father. I experienced that for myself and I began to see that I can find who I am. I can know who I am in Christ and that's when I began to step forward and began to grow in confidence and started going to a really good church called Miracle Point in Mandra. There's a whole story about how I ended up at that church, but they really just embraced us, me and Sharon, and we felt like we were part of a loving family community. And they were doing a, a radio ministry at the time, and I ended up getting involved with that. They could see I had a call on my life. I really just wanted to be a blessing, Rodney. I wasn't seeking to be in ministry or anything like that. But I just wanted to be a blessing and they could see that I had that call and they just encouraged me with opportunities to give communion, to give you know words on radio. Everything just started to grow. And I think just being part of a good Christian community, I always had a really good grounding of, of the Bible too, which helped. 
in the Word of God, there's a scripture that says precept upon precept. That's, ha- that's what happened. Our lives, we just kept taking the next step of what we felt was best next to do. We eventually got involved in helping church plants. Eventually, I started being a leader and, and helping out with a small group, which grew into a home church, and I was pastoring people, helping people. Never even looked for it. It just started to happen organically and naturally. Around about 2019, yeah, I was I was basically doing one form of, of ministry or another since then, again, not even looking for it. So really where it turned around for me was discovering who I am in God and discovering who my true identity in Him and and just really being willing to, to step out in faith, you know, and just trusting God and just knowing that, you know, He will make a way for me. He will make a way for me if I just do what I know I, I can do. What is in your hand? That what is what is it within my capabilities to do? That's all I focused on, and I just trusted him for the rest. He's blessed me with some amazing jobs. He's blessed me with some amazing friends and people, and just the whole journey has just been incredible. Even just recently, the last eighteen months to two years, you know, I've been doing media ministry, podcasting. I've been doing video podcasting, but focusing more on the church side of things now, and you know, being ordained under the Full Gospel Australia. That has just been the big turnaround for me, finding who I am in God, you know, finding my identity, finding a community where we're encouraging and loving and supportive. And you know, there were knockbacks, there were hardships there. You know, Sharon and I, we've we've been we've been taken advantage of, we've been betrayed, we've been falsely accused, but the Lord's been faithful. Jesus has been faithful for all of that. We've just kept pressing on. We've just kept moving forward and we've just seen God bless us abundantly. If people are wanting to connect with you to hear some of your podcasting or connect with your church, where's the easiest place for them to find you online? Sevenfold.church would be the easiest, or just info at sevenfold.church. You know, I'll respond to any email messages that we get. So that would probably be the easiest way to connect with us. We're a home-based church right now, so predominantly meet in the home. You know, we also connect with people online, I mean, that would be definitely one way people connect if they wanted to run. I'll put links in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net so that people can find you easily. Chris, I want to say thank you so much for sharing your time, for sharing your story, to being so open and honest about what you faced, but also about the victory that you're now seeing in knowing who you are in Christ. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, my pleasure. And it's just been such a blessing to share with you on this uh, great podcast. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.